From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday, November 28, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Israel and Hamas have agreed to extend their truce by another two days. The first China International Supply Chain Expo is opened in Beijing, and Interpol is calling for stronger cooperation against transnational organized crime. In business, strong recovery signals in China's logistics sector. In sports, a preview of tomorrow's UEFA Champions League action. In culture and entertainment, a domestic crime thriller tops the Chinese mainland box office. Now checking the day's top stories. Israel and Hamas have agreed on a two-day extension of the temporary ceasefire. A Qatari official says this means at least 20 more Israelis held in Gaza and 60 Palestinians held in Israeli prisons will be freed. Hamas originally promised to release at least 50 hostages in exchange for 150 Palestinians in Israeli jails. And since Friday, the Israeli side's released 150 Palestinian prisoners. And Hamas has released 69 hostages, including 39 Israelis, 11 Israeli dual nationals and 19 foreign nationals. Palestinian authorities say Israel's arrested more than 3,000 Palestinians since October 7th. More than 15,000 Palestinians have died in the conflict so far, while Israel's reported 1,200 deaths on its side. Sam Mednick has more. What this would look like would be two more days with no fighting and 20 more hostages released, 10 hostages per day of ceasefire. Qatar announced this on Monday. Now, on Monday was the final batch of the original agreement where 11 hostages were released into Israel. They are receiving medical attention, according to Israel's military. The majority of those released on Monday were children. But there are still an estimated 175 hostages believed to be in Gaza. It's unclear when they are going to get out. If they were to do a ceasefire, fire with 
batches of people being released. It could take up to about two and a half weeks. It's not even sure if that is an option that's on the table. A lot of the people in Gaza are soldiers that have been abducted, and it's likely that the militants would want a different kind of agreement in order for them to get out. Now, conflict analysts I have spoken to have said that Hamas is likely agreeing to this extension because it gains them favor with the Palestinians in Gaza who are happy about this, this truce and no fighting. It also allows more aid to get into Gaza, which has been greatly needed. It also allows Hamas strategic time to regroup ahead of the next offensive. Israel has made it very clear that no matter how long the ceasefire goes, it is not finished with this war. This is just a pause, and it is going to continue the fighting in order to accomplish its goals, in order to eradicate Hamas and make sure that all of the hostages are released. Also on Monday, the Palestinian Red Crescent put out a statement saying that it was very concerned about the, the fate of several doctors, the head of the Khan Yunus Hospital, the head of the Al-Shifa Hospital, and two other medical doctors who were, they say, were detained by Israel during its offensive at the end of November. Now, Israel said that it did take the head of the Al-Shifa Hospital in for questioning. They said they did that because they consider the hospital to be a command and control center for Hamas, and they said he was in charge while it was being used as a center. Now, so far, Israel hasn't produced any definitive evidence to show that the hospital is being used as a command center. Now, while the Red Crescent was raising concerns about this, the people in Gaza right now, the Palestinians, have been using this four-day pause to check on their houses, much of which has been reduced to rubble because of weeks of airstrikes. They've been looking for loved ones, many people that they haven't known if they're alive or dead and are trapped underneath the rubble. And they've also been trying to get the humanitarian assistance that has been coming in. Food, water, cooking oil, fuel, which hasn't really come into Gaza at all since the beginning of the war. That was Sam Mednick in Jerusalem. Well, tensions remain high in the occupied West Bank, where Palestinians have been released from Israeli jails. Israeli security forces fired tear gas and used a bulldozer to put out a fire in the town of Betunia before the arrival of freed Palestinians early Tuesday. Noor Harazin has more. The Israeli raids on Palestinians, towns and cities in the West Bank have been going on for weeks now. I mean, uh, raids on Jenin refugee camp, Nablus, uh, Hebron, even um, uh, West Ramallah. So this has been happening for weeks. And actually, we're talking about more than 3,000 people from the West Bank that were arrested during the uh, past uh, weeks. Some of them are actually children. Some of them were arrested on um, Facebook posts, for example. So, yes, even though there is celebrations in the West Bank, people are happy that prisoners are going out from the Israeli jails and being released, especially women and children. But at the same time, what is happening on the ground is actually that Israeli forces are arresting uh, more Palestinians than the number that they are uh, releasing. Uh, for now, um, Palestinians here on the ground are hopeful, they are optimistic, especially that there is an international community pressure on both sides, on Hamas and Israel, and especially that both Hamas and Israel are committed and they uh, want a truce. That was Noor Harazin reporting. The Egyptian and Kuwaiti Red Crescent organizations have announced details of their humanitarian efforts in Gaza. Both groups say they hope the flow of aid will continue even if the fighting resumes. Adele Al-Maruki reports. Deliveries of humanitarian aid to Palestinians in Gaza have been stepped up during the four-day ceasefire. 
More injured Palestinians have also been crossing into Egypt seeking medical assistance. As this crucial four-day truce continued, the focus of aid groups also expanded. The Kuwaiti Red Crescent has been among the fastest and most cooperative responders. So far, they've sent 28 aircrafts. On Monday, they announced an additional 35 trucks, which will take the total amount of medical and food supplies they sent to Gaza to about 1,300 tons. The Egyptian Red Crescent is at the heart of the humanitarian effort. It's organizing the logistics to push all donations coming from domestic and international organizations into the collapsing Palestinian enclave. Egypt says that so far, more than 70% of all aid reaching Palestinians has come from local organizations. That was Adele Al-Maruki reporting. China's called a U.N. Security Council high-level meeting on the Palestinian-Israeli issue. Foreign Minister Wang Yi is scheduled to chair this meeting this week in New York. Sally Patterson has more. China is the rotating president of the United Nations Security Council this month and will hold a meeting on the Palestinian-Israeli issue on Wednesday. A Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson confirmed on Monday that Foreign Minister Wang Yi will travel to the U.S. to chair that meeting at the U.N. headquarters in New York. China hopes that through that meeting, the country can play a role in bringing parties together for in-depth exchanges to build up consensus on the ongoing conflict in the Middle East. China also hopes to take what the spokesperson called further concrete steps to alleviate the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, achieve a ceasefire and protect civilians. This is something China has repeatedly called for since fighting began, after Hamas militants attacked Israel on October 7th, killing more than 1,200 people and taking some 240 others hostage. Gaza's Hamas government says at least 13,000 Palestinians have been killed since fighting began. Food, water, medical supplies and fuel are scarce in Gaza, with many hospitals unable to function and thousands of people internally displaced. Earlier this month, the UN Security Council adopted a resolution calling for urgent and extended humanitarian pauses and corridors through the Gaza Strip. At that meeting, China stressed the importance of a long-term solution to the conflict. That was Sally Patterson reporting. The Tesla and SpaceX CEO says there are three things that need to happen to alleviate the Gaza situation. Elon Musk made the remarks after a meeting with Israeli President Isaac Herzog in Jerusalem. There's no choice but to kill those who insist on uh, murdering civilians. There's exactly. no choice. Um, they're not going to change their mind. But And then the second thing is to change the, the education so that a new generation of, of murderers is not trained to be murderers. And then, the, and then the third thing, which is also very important, is to try to build prosperity. Herzog told Musk that they need to work together to fight against anti-Semitism. I think we need to discuss how to go forward, how to fight and combat this hate in order to sure. make the world a better place, safer place. It always starts with the Jews, it never ends with the Jews, and we must yeah. change this equation. Musk's visit to Israel comes amid a truce period in the Israel-Hamas conflict that's been going on in the Gaza Strip since October 7th. 
The man suspected of shooting three Palestinian students near the University of Vermont last week has pleaded not guilty as the Department of Justice is investigating if he committed a hate crime. Authorities have charged 48-year-old Jason Eaton with three counts of second-degree attempted murder. Uh, the victims, all 20 years old, survived the attack. Benji Heyer reports. Jason Eaton in custody, appearing via video link in court in Burlington, Vermont. He's accused of shooting Hisham Awatani, Tassin Ahmed and Kinan Abdelhamid, who were visiting relatives on Saturday. They were speaking Arabic and wearing a kafia, a traditional Palestinian scarf. Eaton allegedly fired at least four rounds at them. Police have searched his home. They found evidence which suggests he carried out the shooting, though no motive has been confirmed. Shootings are commonplace in the US, but this incident, if the FBI finds it to be a hate-motivated crime, potentially speaks to a worrying trend. The administration says tackling hate is a national priority, launching the country's first national strategy to counter Islamophobia earlier this month. That was Benji Heyer on a potential hate crime in the U.S. against three Palestinian students. Coming up, the China International Supply Chain Expo in Beijing. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. It's 12 minutes past the hour. The first China International Supply Chain Expo is underway in Beijing. The expo, which runs through Saturday, aims to provide a platform for enterprises to expand trade and investment cooperation. Addressing the opening ceremony, Chinese Premier Li Chung said the expo is part of China's efforts to stabilize global supply chains and promote shared development. The China International Supply Chain Expo is a national-level expo themed on the supply chain, and it is the first of its kind in the world. As countries look for robust and sustainable growth drivers amid a faltering global recovery, cementing and enhancing cooperation on global industrial and supply chains is in the interest of all parties. As President Xi Jinping stated, maintaining the resilience and stability of the global industrial and supply chains is a vital guarantee in promoting the development of the global economy. The expo is initiated by China to meet the cause of the times and create an international platform for closer communication, deeper cooperation, and shared development. Themed Connecting the World for a Shared Future, the expo covers a wide range of areas including smart vehicles, green agriculture, clean energy, and digital technology. Observers are saying that China's hosting uh, the world's first supply chain expo demonstrates its commitment to ensure the people remain connected on a global scale. Wang Ke explains. We might have taken it for granted the seamless shopping experience from a single online click to doorstep delivery. Crafting this experience for billions involves navigating a sophisticated global network of supply chains. With intensified trade in intermediate goods over the past few decades, production has become fragmented. Producers can source materials from the countries with the lowest costs allowing them to serve distant markets through numerous establishments scattered around the globe. As a major beneficiary of the global supply chain, China has grown to contribute nearly 30% of the world's total manufacturing output. 
This worked well in the past. But in recent years, companies have begun prioritizing reduced risks in a global supply chain over cheaper costs. In a post-pandemic world dealing with ongoing trade conflicts, some companies are actively reshoring, bringing back operations once moved overseas to where they were originally located. But this will be costly. The combined cost for U.S. and European companies to move manufacturing out of China would come to a hefty $1 trillion in the next five years. China, on the other hand, is busy securing smooth and stable global connections. This commitment is underscored by its hosting of the world's first national-level expo, solely dedicated to supply chains. That was Wang Ke reporting. And for more on the ongoing CISCE, Huang Fei takes a closer look at how the expo could make a difference amid growing uncertainties in the world economy. China's Premier Li Qiang kicked off the event with a renewed commitment to open market access. Supply chain security and stability are the foundation of development. This requires us to promote cooperation with mutual respect and equal treatment, strengthen key industrial chains and coordinate resources globally. We must avoid arbitrary interference in market behavior, support enterprises in their analysis and risk response, and strive to reduce factors of uncertainty and instability. Over 500 companies are joining the display. Major companies like Tesla, Qualcomm and ExxonMobil show a strong American interest, surpassing organizers' initial expectations. Among international participants, a notable 36 percent represent the United States and Europe. The expo is seen as Beijing's answer to Washington's de-risking approach. Some multinationals are exploring supply chain relocations to avoid fallouts of the China-U.S. tech rivalry. The World Trade Organization recently downgraded its 2023 forecast for global trade in goods from 1.7 percent to a mere 0.8 percent. With a high-profile event, China is positioning itself as a champion of globalization. China accounted for nearly a third of the world's manufacturing output in 2022 and continued to play a key role in global economic recovery. The expo is both a demonstration of China's own uh, supply chain resilience and a bit for new connections. Industry leaders are expected to delve into critical issues facing global supply chains today and are using this timely platform to shore up alliances amid changing trade dynamics. That was Huang Fei reporting. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson says the country welcomes a visa-free policy for Chinese visitors to Malaysia. Wang Wenbin made the remarks after the Malaysian Prime Minister announced a 30-day visa-free period for Chinese visitors. We believe that the newly launched policy for visa facilitation by China and Malaysia will inject new impetus into further enhancing people-to-people exchanges between the two countries. China is willing to work with Malaysia to continue to strengthen mutually beneficial cooperation and people-to-people exchanges so that bilateral friendly cooperation will yield more fruitful results. Well, an announcement by Anwar Ibrahim came as China rolled out a new visa-free policy for six countries, including Malaysia and five European countries. Uh, next year marks the 50th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic relations between China and Malaysia. 
The Egyptian Minister of Tourism and Antiquities says uh, Egypt seeks to attract 3 million Chinese tourists annually by 2028 as part of the country's strategy to increase its share in the Chinese tourism market. Egypt currently receives between four and 5,000 Chinese tourists each week. Um, Ahmed Issa said that in order to host an increasing number of Chinese visitors, more flights and hotel rooms are required. He also said since Egypt began to record the number of foreign tourists in 2000, uh, the number of Chinese visitors has never exceeded 300,000 in a single year. The minister added that further growth of Chinese tourists in Egypt can be achieved through cooperation between the Egyptian Tourism Ministry and its Chinese counterpart, as well as with Chinese investors and tour operators. Coming up, Interpol issues a call for stronger international cooperation against organized crime. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. It's 19 minutes past the hour. The Interpol Secretary General is calling for stronger international police cooperation to combat transnational organized crime. Jurgen Stock made the remarks ahead of the 100th anniversary of Interpol. We are currently facing an epidemic of transnational organized crime, which is undermining societies, communities, and businesses. It is now so significant that it has become a global security emergency. This is a global problem and must be tackled by more, not less, international cooperation, information sharing, and more access to international systems for every police officer. Well, Stock adds that it's essential that the right information is in the right hands at the right time. Interpol currently maintains 19 global databases to help link and ideally enrich information about crimes and criminals worldwide. These databases act as a global early warning system against traveling terrorists and violent offenders. Interpol was founded in 1923 in Vienna as the International Criminal Police Commission. The agency was renamed Interpol and adopted a new constitution after World War II. Some residents of the capital of Sierra Leone say the attack on the country's major military barracks on the weekend has affected their lives. A gunman who tried to break into the key armory in the Wilberforce military barracks in Freetown exchanged fire with armed security forces. Seven personnel from the armed forces died during the clashes. Fatmada Bokhari said that she was startled by the attacks. Around 2 a.m., someone woke us up saying there was some gunshot. I woke up around 3 a.m. The way they woke me up wasn't good for a pressure patient. I felt bad. My entire body was shaking. Ibrahim Kamara says the attacks have affected many local businesses in the city. The situation around the central business area is calm at the moment. There was no problem, and you know that in times like this, it's only the petty traders like us will come around to find our survival. Because the people having big shops will find it difficult to open their shops due to the ongoing rumors. But actually today, business is very slow. It seems like a holiday. 
The armed assailants also attacked other locations, including the Pademba Road Correctional Center, leading to a prison break. President Julius Matabio says uh, calm has been restored and the attackers have been repelled, with all the leaders involved in the attack arrested. The government's lifted the previous indefinite curfew and introduced a new one imposed from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. Uh, many businesses and shops in Freetown remain closed and schools have yet to resume. Health officials in the United States are urging the public to take vaccines amid this year's flu season. At least seven states have reported higher than usual numbers of cases, while other parts of the country are also seeing surging infections. Owen Faircloth has more from Washington. With the late summer COVID-19 surge here in the United States on the wane, now it's the turn of traditional influenza to take center stage. Health authorities here in the United States are reporting elevated cases of influenza with elevated hospital admissions in some parts of the United States, predominantly southern states. In states like Louisiana and South Carolina, health authorities have reported very high numbers of flu cases in recent weeks. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is also saying that flu vaccination rates are marginally down for this time of year compared to the same period in 2022. And that's broadly the same for COVID-19 vaccination rates. The CDC declared an end to its public health emergency for the COVID-19 pandemic back in May and is now concerned that people across age ranges aren't taking up the latest iteration of the COVID-19 vaccine with rates sharply down for both children and adults. And the CDC is also concerned that flu and COVID-19 vaccination rates among health workers are also down. That was Owen Fairclough reporting. Interior ministers from six European Union countries have met in Hungary to discuss the issue of illegal migration. The ministers from the V4 group of Central European nations, including the Czech Republic, Hungary, Poland and Slovakia, were joined by their counterparts from Austria and Germany for the summit in southern Hungary. Czech Interior Minister Vit Rakushin said migration is a shared challenge for Europe and that solutions must focus on protecting the bloc's external borders. Uh, we can say that we share some common challenges. We all are on the same migration route. We share borders and the situation on the external border of the EU affects all of us. It's a new thing in the whole EU. The migration is challenging for everybody in all corners of the EU. Rakushin added that recent decisions by numerous European governments to reintroduce internal border checks within the visa-free Schengen zone were unsustainable and that external border protection would be the focus of cooperation between the six governments going forward. Around 13 of the EU's 27 member countries have reintroduced internal border checks with their neighbors in recent months. NASA deviated from the normal border-free travel enjoyed in the Schengen zone. A part of what led to the policies was the proliferation of violence in northern Serbia in recent months, where gun battles have become common along the border region with Hungary, where migrants have gathered looking for ways to cross into the EU with the help of people smugglers. Well, heat waves, droughts, and dried up reservoirs are causing regional tensions over water in Spain. Uh, one province there is providing a way uh, forward by recycling almost 100% of its wastewater from surrounding towns and cities. Ken Brown takes a closer look in the province of Murcia. They call it the Murcian miracle. 
This Spanish province may have the most arid land on the continent, but it's also known as the Garden of Europe, a leading producer of EU fruit and vegetables. It's a paradox made possible with water transfers from wetter regions and the reuse of water on a vast scale. Murcia gets more than 300 days of sun a year, making water a scarce and precious resource. That's why 98% of water is repurposed for agriculture. Here at Torre de Cotillas, the recycling plant helps fill huge reservoirs equivalent to 128 Olympic-sized swimming pools. The water is destined for surrounding farms, the quality constantly checked, and it's also become something of a sanctuary for some endangered species of birds. The water provides a lifeline in Spain's bone-dry Mediterranean southeast. Here, the agriculture industry employs around 100,000 people and is worth over 3 billion US dollars a year. Local farmer Jesus Rojo grows lemons, peaches, apricots and much more on land made arable by water transferred from other parts of Spain and recycled water. This would all be desert as far as the eye can see. Not even the olive trees would grow without us watering the land. It doesn't rain here at all. The plants only grow using water that we've brought in from somewhere else, such as the water treatment plants. Climate change, drought, heat waves and dramatically reduced rainfall mean three quarters of Spain is at risk from desertification. Water pressures and tensions are growing. The treatment plants are mini-oases providing 15% of Murcia's agricultural demands and are much cheaper than seawater desalination plants. In May, the Spanish government doubled down on water reuse, releasing $1.5 billion to build new infrastructure. Now, foreign interest is flowing in too. Delegations from Australia to Argentina have visited the Esomor facilities in Murcia. New scarcity is teaching the world the true value of fresh water. Using and reusing it better is vital to keep it flowing in the future. That was Ken Brown in Murcia, Spain. We're at 28 minutes past the hour. Beijing will be down to minus four overnight. It's followed by sunny skies and a high of three on Wednesday. Chongqing's 14 this evening, then a slight rain with a high of 18. Last is down to minus one, then cloudy and 12 degrees. Hong Kong's down to 20, then sunny with a high of 24. Elsewhere, Tokyo's eight degrees overnight. It'll be sunny and 19 on Wednesday. Islamabad's at 12 this evening, then showers and 23. Uh, Bangkok's down to 24 degrees, then partly cloudy and 34. And finally, in Africa, Nairobi's getting partly cloudy conditions and a high of 24 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Israel and Hamas have agreed to extend their truce by another two days. The first China International Supply Chain Expo has opened in Beijing. Interpol's calling for stronger cooperation against transnational organized crime. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we 
still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. An General Railway Company Deutsche Director Bahn of the International the United Nations Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Tuesday. Still to come. In business, strong recovery signals in China's logistics sector. In sports, a preview of tomorrow's UEFA Champions League action. In culture and entertainment, a domestic crime thriller tops the Chinese mainland box office. Contact us. You can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with the day's headline news, here's Wang Zihang. Thank you very much, Shane. Israel and Hamas have agreed to extend their temporary truce by another two days. Hamas has released a fourth group of hostages in exchange for Palestinians held in Israeli captivity. The two sides will swap more prisoners under the new deal. However, the humanitarian situation remains dire in Gaza. UN Secretary Ant- General Antonio Guterres says the extension of the truce does not provide enough time to meet the needs for humanitarian aid. It's a glimpse of hope and humanity in the middle of the darkness of war. And I strongly hope that uh, this will enable us to increase even more uh, the humanitarian aid to the people in Gaza that is suffering so much, knowing that uh, even with that additional amount of time, it will be impossible to satisfy all the dramatic needs of the population in Gaza. More than 15,000 Palestinians have died in the conflict so far, while Israel has reported 1,200 deaths on its side. The first China International Supply Chain Expo kicked off in Beijing on Tuesday. The expo, which runs through Saturday, aims to provide a platform for enterprises to expand trade and investment cooperation. Addressing the opening ceremony, Chinese Premier Li Qiang said the expo is part of China's efforts to stabilize global supply chains and promote shared development. Themed connecting the world for a shared future, it is the world's first national-level supply chain expo. The exhibitions cover a wide range of areas, including smart vehicles, green agriculture, clean energy and digital technology. A Chinese vice premier says the country stands ready to work with Kazakhstan to push bilateral ties to higher levels and promote the high-quality construction of the Belt and Road. Jin Xiuxiang made the remarks when meeting with Kazakh President Kasim Jomart Tokayev in Astana. Deng called on the two sides to explore new forms of cooperation and deepen cooperation in culture, tourism, education, sports and youth. The vice premier also called for synergy between the Belgian Road Initiative and Kazakhstan's Bright Road Initiative. Tokayev said Kazakhstan firmly supports high-quality Belgian Road cooperation and welcomes Chinese enterprises to invest in the country. 
The Greek Prime Minister has expressed annoyance after his British counterpart cancelled a scheduled meeting between the two leaders in London only hours before it was due to take place. The cancellation happened amid diplomatic row between the two countries over the status of the Parthenon sculptures. Greece has been asking the British Museum to permanently return the 2,500-year-old sculptures removed by Lord Elgin from the Parthenon Temple in the early 19th century. The UK government has always ruled out giving up ownership of the sculptures, saying they were legally acquired. Impala Platinum says it has temporarily halted operations at its Rustenburg mining complex in South Africa after 11 workers died in an accident in one of its underground shafts. Local media reports said an elevator unexpected dropped 200 meters. The Johannesburg-based platinum miner said 86 workers were involved in the incident and 75 injured workers had been hospitalized. The company said all mining operations at the sprawling complex in northwest province had been suspended. Kenya has earmarked an additional 65.5 million US dollars to ramp up mitigation efforts against devastating floods caused by El Nino. The African nation has been subject to severe weather conditions since October. At least 76 people have been killed. The Kenya Meteorological State Department has predicted continuous heavy rainfall until January next year. One student in the U.S. has died and another is hospitalized after stabbing at Southeast Raleigh High School in North Carolina. The incident happened during a fight at the school's gymnasium. The local police chief says a juvenile suspect is in custody. Officials have not released the name of the victim. The school has issued a red coat emergency lockdown and urged families to stay away from the school. Irish trade union members and supporters have attended a rally in Dublin to denounce the riots triggered by the stabbing of three young children last Thursday. Irish Congress of Trade Unions General Secretary Owen Reedy said the union stands together with the victims. It's a symbolic act uh, by the trade union movement to say this is not in our name. We stand with those workers and we want an inclusive, diverse Ireland. And we don't want to allow a small minority to take us back to a place that never actually existed. Police blamed far-right agitators for starting the violence on Thursday after a small group of anti-immigrant protesters arrived at the scene of the stabbing and clashed with the police. Finally, in China, after 12 years of construction, a section of the Sichuan-Qinghai Railway has finally opened in the west of the country. The first high-speed passenger train set off from Maoxian County at around 11 a.m. Tuesday and arrived in the provincial capital Chengdu 55 minutes later. The 203rd 238-kilometer line crosses a rugged, earthquake-prone plateau region and takes a detour to avoid a vital habitat for the giant panda. Thank you very much. That was Wang Zahan. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, strong recovery signals in China's logistics sector. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. 
Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. 38 past the hour now. Turning to business, and here's Tianyu. Thank you, Shane. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished higher on Tuesday. Timothy Pope has more. The uh, Asian stock markets are still looking pretty tepid uh, in the lead-up to the U.S. inflation data, which is due out on Wednesday. And that's despite the fact that most investors are expecting the U.S. Fed to leave interest rates unchanged this month. On the Chinese mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index advanced by a quarter of 1%, turning uh, positive after several sessions of losses. Some money was flowing back into the major indices in Shanghai and Shenzhen from the smaller exchange in Beijing, where the Beijing 50 Index has been surging this month. Today, though, uh, it fell by more than 4 with investors booking some profits, uh, given that the index is up more than 40% uh, this month on some uh, very speculative trading. Uh, EV maker Chang'an Auto was also in the spotlight, jumping almost 10% today, pushing its rally into a fourth session. On Sunday, we saw the uh, tech giant Huawei uh, saying that it's going to spin off its uh, smart car unit into a new joint venture company with uh, Chang'an Auto, and uh, Chang'an will have up to a 40% stake in that firm, uh, which will focus on uh, things like smart car systems and components. Uh, so uh, that was uh, that was really pushing uh, Chang'an shares again today. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped around one percent. In Japan, the K was down zero point one percent. China's logistics industry continued to recover in October. Official Tsai Jing with China Federation of Logistics and Purchasing attributes the growth to the help of supportive policies. I should say that China's logistics industry has seen a steady expansion from January to October. We observed a steady growth in October with a growth rate of 5.1%, which was higher than that in the previous month. In October, more than 70% of industrial logistics sectors witnessed growth in total logistics, with a greater number of sectors experiencing an increase compared to September. Director Liu Yuhang of China Logistics Information Center says demand for unmanned aerial vehicles increased by 50%, driven by emerging business models. The delivery volume exceeded 100 billion parcels nationwide from January to October. The mix of new business models and drivers, which contributed to the steady growing demand for social logistics, provided effective support. Logistics for equipment manufacturing went up over six percent in October. Logistic demand for catering grew by over seventeen percent compared to the same period last year. The country's total volume of import logistics jumped more than thirteen percent in the first ten months of this year. Across the highway project between the cities of Shenzhen and Zhongshan in Guangdong Province is almost finished. It is a core transportation hub project in the Guangdong, Hong Kong, Macau, Greater Bay Area. It consists of one underwater tunnel, two bridges, and two artificial islands, making it one of the most challenging cross-sea cluster projects in the world. Once operational, the travel time between Shenzhen and Zhongshan will drop from the current two hours to less than half an hour. The cross-sea link is. Is scheduled to, to open to traffic in June. China's basic medical insurance funds saw a revenue of around 2.6 trillion yuan, or around 368 billion U.S. dollars, in the first 10 months of the year. The expenditure of the basic medical insurance funds reached 2.2 trillion yuan in the first 10 months. 
Chinese authorities say the country will offer residents more accessible and affordable quality services. The services include elderly and childcare, food services, health service, sports, and leisure activities. The country will pilot the construction of service facilities in about 50 cities. Big cities will promote the services first. It is the olive har- harvesting season in Greece, but along with the extreme weather affecting crops, farmers and olive oil producers are grappling with an array of other challenges. Evangelist Sipsas has more. It is olive harvesting season in Messenia, the part of Greece known for its Kalamata olives. And Panayotis has been here since early morning. For him, this process always comes with worries: whether the olives will be big enough and how much oil they will produce. Now, an extra worry on his mind: theft. A sack of olives could give you 10 liters of olive oil. That's a hundred euros. Imagine leaving 50 to 60 sacks in your farm overnight, like we used to. It's a lot of money. That's why I prefer to store them at home before sending them to the mill. And if I can't, I just stay here and guard them myself. But a few kilometers south, second-generation olive oil producer Panayotis Mitsias wasn't as lucky. Overnight, someone broke into the storage of my mill to see if there was any olive oil. But as they didn't find anything, they broke into the main facility and stole two reservoirs of 100 kilos each. That has happened to almost all the olive oil producers in the area I know. The surging olive oil prices are a combination of many factors. One of which is the extreme heat waves linked to climate change. They have taken a toll on olive oil production and have pushed up the price of this daily staple. In some areas, producer prices have exceeded nine dollars a liter, and close to sixteen once it reaches the consumer. And that's not only because of steep production cuts in Greece, but also the wider Mediterranean region. What's going on in Greece and the whole region of Messenia, or any region that produces olive oil, is that the market relies on what the production year looks like in Spain. If they have decreased production, the prices go up simply because Greece cannot cover the market Spain sells to. Therefore, the demand is high and stock is low. And this year, our production is low too. Extreme weather conditions, in combination with the lack of product, are pushing up the prices, putting a dent in our wallets and our pockets. But there's also another factor that is forcing us to pay at least 50 percent more than what we did a year ago, at least here in Greece. Workers. It is difficult to find labor in Greece. We are currently in need of 70,000 workers, not only in the olive oil industry but everywhere. We are forced to double the daily rate to attract them. But that then is like a domino effect. The higher the labor, the higher we will sell. While olive oil prices continue to fluctuate as the harvest season is still ongoing, the government is trying to find ways for consumers to buy at a more affordable price. They are proposing a cap with producers selling at seven dollars a liter, but once it's ready for consumption, the price will increase, turning liquid gold from an essential part of Greek cuisine and culture into a luxury good. And that was Evangelos Sipsas reporting. 
ByteDance is retreating from the gaming business by cutting jobs and units. The tech company emphasized that the team is being still being retained, but admitted to significantly scaling back the gaming business without providing details like how many jobs will be cut. Earlier, ByteDance reportedly tried to sell its gaming subsidiary Moonton. ByteDance is the parent firm of popular short video platform TikTok. Tesla had sued the Swedish transport agency after postal workers stopped delivering license plates connected to the electric car company. The move is intended to support a strike by Tesla metal workers in the country. About 130 staff at Tesla's Swedish repair shops have been on strike since late October, demanding an agreement to guarantee better payment. Tesla boss Elon Musk said last week the potential impact of the standoff was, quote, insane. And finally, Amazon reached an agreement with most of, most of its workers in Spain on Monday. Around 20,000 warehouse and delivery workers at Amazon's Spanish unit had been urged to walk out to demand better pay and working conditions on the so-called Cyber Monday discount day when retailers, retailers aim to boost Christmas gift buying. Only 5,000 Amazon delivery workers will continue with the protest after they consider the company's proposal for better pay conditions was not enough. Right, thank you very much. That was Tianyu with Business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour and coming up in sports. We have a preview of tomorrow's UEFA Champions League action. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. UEFA Champions League action resumes tomorrow morning Beijing time, and the English side Newcastle faces a crucial game against the Paris Saint-Germain. Newcastle now sits at the bottom of a group which also has Borussia Dortmund and AC Milan, but no teams have guaranteed a knockout stage spot yet. Manager Eddie Howe says the team must win to keep progression hopes alive. I think from our side, we prepare to try and win this game. That's all we can do and then worry about Milan afterwards. We're certainly not in a, a strong position. We're not in the position that we, we wanted to be. But we are where we are and we have to um, just focus on this game. Meantime, Barcelona hosts Porto in the battle between the top two teams in Group H. A win would help either club, club finish top of the group and the Barca coach Xavi Hernandez described the game as a final for them. For us, for us, this is a very important game. It's vital if we were to keep intact our options to finish first in our Champions League group. It's an opportunity for us, and we face it in good spirits with a good mindset, playing at home. We hope our fans will come to the stadium. We need them more than ever. I hope we will have a magical night. Manchester City will face RB Leipzig, and both teams have secured last 16 berths. Bayern Munich defender Matthias Delhet is nearing a comeback from the right knee injury which ruled him out for most of the past month. Bayern said the Dutch defender was back on the field and has completed an individual session at the training ground. Delhet tore part of a knee ligament on November 1st in Bayern's surprising German Cup loss to third division club Saarbrücken. That prompted concerns he could be a long-term absentee from a first-team squad which only includes two other central defenders. 
The Africa Triathlon Cup in Kenya has wrapped up with 30 elite athletes from 15 countries taking part. Mohamed Abubakar was in the coastal town of Kilifi for the endurance competition that is part of the World Triathlon Continental Cup Tour. The 2023 Africa Triathlon Continental Cup provided a grueling test for elite international triathletes in the Kenyan coastal town of Kilifi. Competitors took on a challenging event that included an open 750-meter swim in the Indian Ocean, a 20-kilometer cycling ride, before finishing with a 5-kilometer run. Germany's Jasper Ottfeld crossed the finish line first, clocking 1 hour, 1 minute and 22 seconds in the men's event. Austrian Leon Poger and Egyptian Mohanad El Shafei rounded off the men's podium in second and third. Uh, me and the Austrian guys tried to attack sometimes, but it didn't work. So we came into the T2 together, and I picked up a flat tire to, uh, 100 meters before the second transition. So, but anyway, then on the run course, I had to close a 50 meter gap to the front and run it home. In the women's race, it was a one-two finish for Austrian duo Lisa Petere and Tanya Stroschneider. Yeah, for me it was really spontaneous like decision to come because next year is the Olympics and I really want to prepare for it and without any stress. So I decided to collect maybe some more points in the end of the season. So it was good for me to take the win and the, my Austrian colleague Tanya taking third, uh, second. For the majority of the African triathletes, the event offered them valuable points in their chase for Paris 2024 Olympics qualification. We take it and go back home and work for next year. The road is still long. We need to keep fighting. Six months till the qualification, we do what we can do until the end. I now I work for my goals is uh, to go to the Olympic Games. So I earn uh, some good points today. It's important for me to to go uh, in the ranking uh, in uh, the World Triathlon. After this year's successful event, the organizers hope that the upcoming editions will continue to attract even more athletes from Africa and across the globe. That was Mohamed Abubakar in Kilifi, Kenya. Now turning to the NBA, the injury hit Denver Nuggets rallied in the fourth quarter to beat the star-studded Los Angeles Clippers 113-104 without Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Former Clippers Reggie Jackson and DeAndre Jordan combined for 20 points in the fourth when the Nuggets trailed by 11 to start. The Clippers were limited to just four field goals in the final period. Paul George, Russell Westbrook and James Harden only combined for 31 points. Elsewhere, LeBron James suffered the worst defeat in his career as his LA Lakers lost to the 76ers by 44 points. The Washington Wizards ended a nine-game losing streak with a 126-107 rout of the Detroit Pistons. And finally, NBA stars Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Carl Anthony Towns all still have a chance to play in next summer's Paris Olympics, but at least two of those stars won't get there. FIBA held the Olympic qualifying tournament draws for the final four spots left in the Paris Games field, with Slovenia, Greece and the Dominican Republic all getting slotted into the same event. The qualification features four events, and only the event winner will progress to the Games next, next year. Spain, Brazil and Italy will also play in the qualifiers. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, a domestic crime thriller tops the Chinese mainland box office. The Beijing Hour.
Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. Fifty-three past the hour now. Turning to culture and entertainment, crime thriller across the furious sea by award-winning director Cao Baoping has become a hit in Chinese mainland theaters, topping the box office charts for four consecutive days since it opened on Saturday. <laughs> It's an adaptation of the novella of the same name, which was inspired by the real-life case of a Chinese student murdered by her classmate while studying in the United States. The film star Aswang Bo is a fisherman who discovers that his daughter is brutally murdered while studying in Japan, and that the prime suspect is her boyfriend. Overwhelmed by grief and anger, the fisherman embarks on a journey of revenge. The film's grossed more than 210 million yuan, or roughly 30 million U.S. dollars. 2023 is set to be the first time in nine years that Walt Disney Studios will not have a single movie crack $1 billion U.S. dollars at the global box office. For comparison, in 2019, Disney had a whopping seven movies that made the billion mark. Disney's biggest success of 2023 was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which earned more than $840 million. Disney's looking to bounce back for 2024 with a number of high-profile releases lined up including Inside Out 2, Mufasa, Deadpool 3, and Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. African fashion designers are lending their creativity to fight breast cancer. A specially curated event in Cape Town, South Africa, auctioned off a collection of selected garments that will donate and, or, and will donate them to the Reach for Recovery Foundation, an NGO which supports women, especially from low-income groups, through their cancer journey. Now, Julie Shire has more. Women are the fashion industry's biggest supporter, but they continue to face an uphill battle when it comes to breast cancer. However, here in Johannesburg, designers are throwing their weight behind the effort. A special Design for Life collection was recently auctioned on the catwalk. Proceeds will go to those who can't afford the expensive treatment. The show was really about bringing out the beauty of fashion and bringing out the beauty in vulnerability of the women who are going through the treatment for breast cancer. We had a lot of uh, breast cancer survivors who walked on the runway dressed in beautiful clothes by some of our designers. Despite medical advances, breast cancer remains a threat to women around the world. In South Africa, it's the highest cause of cancer among women, many of whom have to rely on inefficient state health care for treatment. Many of those women undergo double mastectomies and it's a very defeminizing aspect of this process and I think if we can help in some way to finding a cure or funding research around cures it's, it becomes a very important thing not just for South Africa but on a global scale. Some of those involved in the initiative are quite close to the cause itself Londeka Indaba, a young and talented creator, donated garments after an agonizing personal loss of her own. I lost a friend um, to cancer. Um, I stayed with her and we 
we never thought she had cancer. So months went past, she was getting sick every morning. That's why I feel it's important that we keep uh, uh, the awareness, we keep up the awareness in telling people how to, how to see cancer, how to spot the symptoms. Because with her, we could have actually saved her life. More than 19 million women, almost a third of the South African population, are at risk of breast cancer. Funds raised will go to the Reach for Recovery Foundation, which helps survivors secure reconstructive surgery and restore their dignity. That was Julie Shire in Cape Town, South Africa. An exhibition featuring works by 11 Beninese and Chinese artists is opened in the African country, aiming to celebrate booming cultural exchanges between the two nations' young artists. The exhibition, held at the Chinese Cultural Center in Kotano, attracted visitors including cultural players, students from the Confucius Institute, representatives from media and diplomats. The exhibition brings together works created by six Chinese artists and art and sculptures by Beninese artists. Uh, the artists use painting, sculpture, and other forms of art to express their vision of the world. We're at 58 past the hour, Beijing down to minus 4 overnight, followed by sunny skies and a high of 3 on Wednesday. Chongqing's at 14 this evening, then a slight rainfall in 18. Last is down to minus 1, then cloudy and 12 degrees. Hong Kong's down to 20, then sunny with a high of 24. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 8 degrees overnight. It'll be sunny and 19 on Wednesday. Islamabad's at 12 this evening, then showers in 23. Bangkok's down to 24 degrees, then partly cloudy skies with a high of 34. In Africa, Nairobi's getting partly cloudy conditions in 24 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 20 this evening, cloudy skies and a high of 30 on Wednesday. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Israel and Hamas have agreed to extend their truce by another two days. And the first China International Supply Chain Expo is opened in Beijing. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 